Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Conversations. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by Danny Cox, who is the VP of Guest Empowerment and Airport Operations for Breeze Airways. How are you? Great. Great to be with you, Garrett. Thanks for all these folks for joining and, and being very hospitable. It's a great place to be. Yeah, thank you. Um, first person guest from uh, an airline, so thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting some questions answered that... Uh, only somebody like you could answer. Um, and then we will open it up for questions uh, towards the end from the audience. Let's start with a little bit of your story and weave that into kind of the founding story of Breeze Airline. Perfect. So my story starts in a hayfield in southern Utah, and I realized I was not good at that, and I didn't want to do that for a while. I was good at eating the beef that my brothers are great at raising, but I was not good at anything else. But I recognized I hated inefficiency. I hated wasting time. And so I got a degree from Southern Utah University in accounting and uh, went into aviation because they're, they are a group that is constantly trying to remove friction, remove inefficiencies, and doing that. And so after being with uh, about three years with a fractional ownership firm in the southern region of Lake Texoma, just south of Oklahoma there. Um, three years with the Fractional Ownership Aviation Group, uh, I started working for Jeff, JetBlue in, uh, uh, in FP&A, and that's where I just fell in love with the fact that the airline margins are so slim, so every bit of efficiency you can gain, learning things like single-engine taxi, learning, uh, learning just all sorts of efficiencies and what it would save the airline, with what it meant to, for a budget carrier to then offer lower fares and garner more people to fly you and, and what it would do. And so uh, 14 years there, bounced around a little bit and then found a real, real passion for the guest experience. And uh, we all have phones. And I don't know a ton of people that love making phone calls and, and doing that. And so uh, David Neeleman, who started JetBlue, started Azul, and is the founder of Breeze, uh, I remember texting him one day when I heard he was starting a new airline. And I said, hey, when, when you start this new airline, you don't need my advice, first of all. This will be your fifth airline. You don't need my advice. But uh, please don't open a call center. I think there's a more efficient way to, to assist guests and, and to help them, and to help them help themselves. Uh, because I think we live in a society of earbuds and walking through the airport, they... They're not a lot of people necessarily want to go there to meet their next best friend. They want to get on a plane and want to get to Disneyland or uh, uh, get to San Francisco. And so that's, that's what took my passion for removing inefficiencies and, and bringing it over to the airline experience. And so, Awesome. So you went all in, right? Like that was a bold statement. No call centers. All, I got this. Yes. Um, I, I go to conferences, and I, I hope I'm not overstating it when I say this, but all the conferences about call deflection, call deflection, and I'm like, we've, we've mastered call deflection. We don't take phone calls. And so I, I know that there is a subset out there that it's not their favorite thing, uh, but a, a couple of stats, if I can geek out on this, on, on, the, on the concept is, do you do laundry at your house, Garrett? Are you the laundry doer? Sometimes. You're the laundry doer sometimes. How long does it take you to do a load of laundry? Uh, about a week. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anybody, anybody quicker than Garrett at doing their laundry? Lies. Who, who you got? What, what do you? Yeah. 24-hour turnaround. Anybody improve upon that? What you got? Four hours. Four hours. Okay. I contest that all of you are wrong, lovingly. I think your washing machine is either working for a week, 24 hours, or four hours. I think laundry is four five-minute increments that really take your time. And with the power of a smartwatch, if you're a laundry uh, anal retentive person like me, it is my washing machine tells me it's going to finish in 35 minutes. I say, set a timer for 35 minutes, and I go about my day. And then in 35 minutes, I move it to the dryer. Then my dryer, I don't know why it's like this, but it takes 120 minutes to dry it. Is this real? I don't know why, but I don't care. I set a timer, set a timer for 120 minutes, and I come back, and I, and I think laundry takes, I think laundry takes 20 minutes. No offense. 
to your week-long yeah. thing. And so I, one of the, the passions that I have is I think that a lot of the engagement that we need to have with our guests when it comes to the experience in travel is kind of like that concept. If, if we can condition our guests in a kind way, it's Kindness Week, and Breeze is celebrating Kindness Week, and encourage all, encourage all of you to be kind. But if we can condition our guests to say, you know, if I get a response, if I get this figured out in the next, in the next two hours, and we want to be much quicker than that, by the way, but if I can get this figured out in the next two hours, and I only have to engage a couple of times along the way to get it figured out, I have my day back instead of an hour to two hours of this constant hold on that so so that's that's how i went all in it's i i think it's working i think it's really working we've got a great team but sorry i love you got to keep me on task here i'm no I'll talk it about all lines group. up um it takes a week for me because i probably washed the same clothes four or five times <laughs> it's like oh those are still that, in there and they smell bad again that mildew smell is yeah. not what i was going for yeah. so i'm probably not a good candidate to ever work for breeze fair would fair. be my guess <laughs> um how old is breeze Breeze is two and a half years from the time we were flying. So uh, May 27th was our first flight. May 21st was our very first booking. This is all of 2021. Uh, 2021, what a great time to start an airline, huh? Just a great time. Whew, that was stressful. Um, but, yeah, so, so two and a half years we've been, we've been flying. Um, a few of us, several of us have been here. I've been here since 2018 setting things up. And, and working in the team just grew from there. But, yeah. but yeah, two and a half years of existence. And you've got a team with a lot of experience and a lot of battle scars, and um, you've watched things evolve, right? Absol- absolutely. We've got an absolute melting pot, which is great from a breadth of that. Sometimes we bump heads a little bit on, uh, I'll, I'll say, an ultra-low-cost carrier mentality. Those of you who are geeking out, the spirit, the frontier, the allegiant mentality of the world. JetBlue's obviously not wanting to overly be connected with that. And then you have old Virgin America folks. So it's a lot of experience that we needed. We wanted to have insight from the different things, but we needed to make our own and not be any one of those. And, and so it, it's been neat how it's, how it's fleshed out. I was just talking to the team recently, and we were talking about some operational performances. You bring that many people with that much experience, there's a lot of operational opinions there. But in the last year, to see how it's molded into the right breeze operation has been cool. Yeah, I bet. Because, you know, a lot of startups uh, start on a napkin or a whiteboard, right? And we were sitting down a little bit before this, and it's infinitely harder to do what you guys are doing and have done than a software startup or I'm going to sell some apples type of thing. Um, You've got regulations. From what I hear, it's a FAA type of thing. You got to have a lot of money. That might be a swear word to me, but might yes, be. I will be careful with that. One, yes. <laughs> um, you know, you you, you can't uh, um, cheaply buy a, a jet, right? <laughs> uh, you got a lot of competition. You've got there's only so much space at, at airports. Yeah. Uh, fuel is up and down constantly. You're just making it sound crazy for even trying this, Garrett. You're making it sound That's crazy. What, I'm trying to show how impressive the whole thing is. And then ultimately you have a lot of angry customers if you don't do it like perfect all the time. So what do you guys do to, you know, ultimately differentiate yourselves, explain a little bit of the business model and tie it into kind of your role of that guest empowerment. Yeah. If I was going to be really succinct, which is hard for me to do, one of my favorite headlines after we launched was JetBlue's nice at spirit price. Somebody coined that headline. We didn't put that out. I thought that was, but I'm like, Holy cows, that is almost exactly what, what we want to. And so as we differentiate and what we're trying to differentiate, you, you highlighted it on there. Uh, it's, it's super expensive to start the airline the way we chose to start it, which was with these brand-new A220s, in which the A220, I see one of my friends here. I've sat next to him uh, on one of the, the flights, Michael here. And it is, it is a gorgeous plane. It's quiet, has these big windows, lets in a lot of light, all of the aesthetics type things that you don't buy a plane ticket. You buy a plane ticket to get to Southern California to go to Disneyland. But when you step on it, it's just a cool, it's a cool experience. And that's an expensive plane, but it's very, very fuel efficient. And we can take off from Provo, a shorter runway, uh, and, and we can fly further 
than than a lot of people can because it is so so fuel efficient. So one of the things that we're trying to differentiate is use that very efficient aircraft. There it is, efficiency again. I just love it type of thing. That very efficient aircraft to get into smaller airports that uh, have shorter runways but fly them to places that guests guests really want to go. As you and I were talking in there, and we were and we were thinking through Scant, uh, uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Very excited. Office fans, we're there for you. We, we've got your Scranton route now. But it's like Scranton, they've not been underserved, but it's a, it's a schlep to get down to Philly from there. And so with a very efficient aircraft and very creative network planners, that same aircraft can fly twice or three times a week from Scranton down to uh, Orlando, get those folks down to Disney World or whatever they want to get out of the winter, cold winter up there, and get down there. And then that same exact plane, uh, three other times a week, can go up to Portland, Maine, and make that same trip down to Orlando. And so all of a sudden, carving these little things out to where if we were, if we were to come in there with five or six flights a week, we wouldn't be differentiating and all of a sudden, an airline that's big in Philadelphia recognizes, hey, they're taking some of our share. We can retaliate. We can do that kind of stuff. But, but coming in there with those markets, we can stimulate the market. We're not stealing really any of their, their guests. They're still seeing their profits and going. And we're stimulating something that maybe somebody who was taking a trip every other year, now they take that trip every year. And so the differentiation is, getting into those niche markets and getting into those places that are a little bit underserved and, and we're stimulating so the market as a whole is going up and it's not we we build a better widget and we still with somebody we think we have built a better widget but but we we're not dependent upon stealing them because we can stimulate with low fares and, and efficient operations. Yeah. And that is like trillions of hours of, of knowledge compiled into that like business strategy there. And you know, we've got Scranton, Provo, Tulsa, Akron, Evansville, and then a long list of underserved or regional hubs. Um, I, I think people can have a good read on folks at the airport that they, they took an Uber for 30 minutes or they drove for three hours for a four-hour flight yeah. or a six-hour flight. Like, that's, that sucks, actually, right? Yeah. So um, if you can solve that regionally, you got something. Yeah. One, one of my favorites was... Um, Fairly recently, uh, a gentleman that lives in this area, uh, this was actually Monday, and he was going to San Bernardino out of Provo. And I, I was at the flight, but I was getting off in San Francisco. And he says, do you know who I am? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know you who you are. And he's like, well, you shouldn't. I'm not famous or anything. But he says, but I am, and I should know these things, but there's an airline up north of us here medallion or something really high up there. I don't know what all the things are. They're, they've got bad press recently. I feel bad for him. Not really. But, um, the, but anyway, he said, I would go up to there and get there and then fly into LAX and then go down to San Bernardino. But with you guys doing this underserved market, even though I have to go through San Francisco, you're saving me 45 minutes each way. So 45 minutes is great. Plus, you're saving me about... Uh, $150 at least each round trip. And, and that is the exact type of thing. We're getting people that, that major airlines serve very, very good from going to their hubs. But then you're right on that. that San Bern I've taken that San Bernardino drive, and it's, it's an hour and a half on a good day to do, to do that from LAX down to San Bernardino. But to get that person right in there, even with a connecting flight, and it's more efficient for them, is, is carving out the niche and again, he's he's one person. It's a stimulated market that there's there's the opportunity that hopefully we're not having to steal too many people like that one. But he was proud to say, "Thank you. Please keep this going," and th and that's a market that seasonally does better than other times. And so he was just like, "Please don't let this flight go away because it's it's helping me out and serving me so well." Oh, for sure. Yeah, I've been hesitant to sit to to give this story, but I went from my front porch in Holiday, Utah, to Disneyland front porch in, it was under four hours, actually, through Provo. Yeah. And um, it was like pre-9-11. You showed up in a civilized way, parked your car, walked into the airport, 
waited three minutes in security, walked in, got a hot chocolate, walked on the plane. And it took a little nap, landed and it, at Disneyland. So yeah. I'm going to say, please don't stop doing that don't either. Don't stop doing that one, yeah. My, I, I got a text from my, my neighbor uh, who I obviously encouraged to fly Breeze. And, and he said, uh, what, what was he, sleep in my own bed and be at Disney when the park opens. Never would have thought that was possible. But I, I live over here in Lehigh. He, he took that 7.30 flight, I think it was, and he says, I can't believe this. I was there when the park opened. Yeah. It's, it's very really cool. cool experience. And, like, we're talking about fun, well, like, at Disneyland, but a lot of these folks in, like, Tulsa or Akron or Evansville, like, they're, you know, it might be oil and gas or, like, heavy manufacturing, and there's, like, gigantic Fortune 500 companies there, but they're still, these executives are still four hours away from an airport. And that's just got to wear on you after a while. Just connect here, taxi this, Uber that. Um, again, a lot goes into this. At some point, it needs to pencil out on a spreadsheet. But let's say Flint, Michigan. You might fly there already. You might not. I don't know. But just as an example. We don't, but we'll put it on the list. Um, somebody is looking at data or an idea pops into their head. And I assume a process starts. Of a ton yeah. of analysis and numbers, and is this going to pencil out? And when do we start reaching out? When do we file paperwork? Give us a, a snapshot yeah. of how that might work. Yeah. So air, airlines way use way too many acronyms, and if anybody knows this acronym, you, I'll, I'm going to give away some breeze points. Except Michael can't answer this. He's way too geeky for this. PDU. Anybody know what that acronym stands for? PDU. It's a word I hate because I hate the word passenger. That's the P because I like the word guests. That. But PDU is passengers per day each way. Uh, I, w I was too mean to the FAA. The FAA does a lot of good things regulated. I think airlines are still the safest way to travel. I think that's statistically proven. It feels that way for me. But anyway, but with that and being a regulated entity, we have all this data. So we know how many people in Flint, Michigan right now, or in last month when it's released, schlepped over to Detroit to jump on a plane to fly to Atlanta to then connect to New Orleans. So we know, we know how that is because that's all reported based on uh, zip codes and, and, and that kind of thing. And so those people that you're talking about, spreadsheets and those people that love maps, that's what they spend their time doing is like, wait, 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 wait. How many people are going from Evansville uh, Indiana to uh, MCO, but they're going there through connecting through Dallas or they're going there connecting through these things. It's could we take just a slice of those, not enough to disrupt the competition where the dis competition disrupt, uh, uh, retaliates, but could we take a slice of those and stimulate more people going from Evansville to, to New Orleans, uh, excuse me, to uh, Orlando, Directly, And so all of that stuff, they're going and searching constantly. The last I heard, they said they have a 1,000 more routes that if money was not an option or aircraft could just show up like this, but we have to prioritize that based on delivery of aircraft and the whole pandemic and supply chain obviously slowed some of that stuff down. But, but it's fascinating to watch them and watch these things come about and to see places that didn't work. You jokingly said, I don't know if you meant to say Akron earlier when you were in there as a joke or anything like that. We're the number one carrier in Akron right now because it's one of those where the the local area, Akron is a great place to fly from to one of the major hubs, but not a lot of direct service to, to some of these places. And so we, we've carved that niche out, and we're, we're at number one carrier in Akron by number of departures and number of seats flown because of that exact thing, penciling it out. And ultimately, like, showing up at, at your HQ and begging for that direct flight won't work, right? you got to factor in some data. But it probably doesn't hurt to, like, ask. No, never hurts to ask. Yeah. So Flint, Michigan, I got written down for you, Garrett. Okay. So we're good. Um, you've mentioned competition a few times, and uh, there's plenty of it, right? Yeah. And you mentioned retaliation. You know, a lot of these, uh, their commercials are on every seven seconds. They're on uh, NBA arenas and, and sports parks. You can... You can tell they got a few things figured out. 
and I assume they don't like it when you guys start encroaching. What do you do to minimize that? Or like if the attack is on, how do you yeah. withstand yeah. it? So I'm not anti-competition. I think, I think it's where we create healthy and, and the fittest survives. And I think that's all of a good thing. One of the main things are we are looking for markets where stimulation is the real thing. So that Flint, Michigan example that I used on that one. So the, the team there looks and says, you know, there's – there's about a plane a week or two planes a week that go from there. So if that's about what's going there already, if we only took 15%, could we stimulate the other, the other 85% or could we, could we stimulate it? And so the, the opportunity for us to stimulate is the number one way we keep the, the right balance of competition without uh, antagonizing, if you will, on that. And, and we, we are also, as a brand new airline, we're, we recognize that we depend a lot on the communities we're in for those communities to get involved. They've, they've lost, a, many of these communities have lost a lot of service. And so the me- community comes in to help out the competition type of uh, either uh, hotels that have been collecting a tax or, or something like that that says, hey, we'll throw in some marketing give this a try for a little while, would you, would you be willing to do that? And so that's how we kind of, which that's available to every airline, but uh, certain airlines have, have pulled out or don't want to take that. And so that's how we kind of strike that balance because if, if we can stimulate additional travel or um, I, I was on Pittsburgh, one of my favorite cities. The first place I ever flew was to Pittsburgh. And, and I'm with a family. I'm, I'm sitting there and I listen to a family and we were the the announcement just came on that we were about to land in Norfolk, Virginia, from Pittsburgh, and the mom, while holding an infant, and the father, while sitting next to a toddler, the mom just let out this sigh, and it was, "Do you realize we we would just be out of our town by now if we were driving? We would just be outside of our town, and we're landing here." And the relief from that—that's not somebody we're stealing away from. Uh, that's somebody who just like I do not want to take this hellish drive with two screaming kids on there, and and they landed there, and Grandma picks them up, and it, and it's a great experience. And so stimulating that kind of experience is one of my favorite things because those are those are individuals that we're just looking for a better way and a more economical way than to do that horrible drive. Yeah, that's got to be a good feeling, right? Because like that's a big part of your title is guest experience. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, if like people are happy, that's a, a victory. Amen. I would assume. Amen. Because they usually spend more money if they're happy. Yeah. And don't send mean tweets and nasty emails. Um, let's talk a little bit more about that guest empowerment. Um, for somebody like me, who's kind of lives like it's 1986. Um, I'm grateful that there's people like you that are worried about inefficiencies and like being kind and all of that. But I'm not a complainer, but I know a lot of complainers and they're really good at it and they can be quick and cutting and fast. And uh, I wouldn't want to be on the other end of that. But it starts all the way from like, I want to go to and then, you know, pop open the computer, get the app on the phone. You guys are thinking about it from Genesis to Revelations, I would assume. And you're probably thinking about it the most. What are some key focal points that you just have to hit every day? Yeah, so so the main thing is is uh, we have to take an approach of feedback is a gift, whether it's coming wrapped in a nice bow or it's being flung at you uh, a million miles an hour like a brick type of thing. So we start from an approach of we're new. We haven't figured everything out. We think we've got a pretty good idea on that one. So we, we start first with any complaints and that, we, we try to very much take an attitude of feedback is a gift, and we appreciate that point of view. We need to take that point of view into it. But answering as many of the questions as we could possibly ask, answer with technology and ease of use uh, is, is a huge part of that. So at, in a former life, about 55% of the contacts that came into the contact center were all about uh, changing a reservation because at a former uh, airline there was a change or cancel fee if you decided to to change your flight which is completely fair because I don't think has anybody here bought used bananas before no it's not it's not something people like to do an airline seat is a little bit different if you can still sell it you you can still sell it but a lot of times 
people buy it when it's when it's really low and then sell it at want to get rid of it when they decide they don't want to go on their trip or not. And so airlines are fair to charge a change or cancel fee, but 55% of the contact was some negotiation, and I like to put myself in their shoes, and I'm like, they got to bring up a sob story because we have a policy. We, we can't waive that fee. They know we can't waive that fee, but they're going to ask anyway. But if you've got 55% of your contacts that you can just wipe away by being an airline that has adopted no change, no cancel policy, and just say, hey, as long as you click this button 15 minutes before your flight, all the dollars you spent automatically go into breeze points. It's our currency, and they're good for 24 months. You know, somebody's still going to probably want to haggle because they want to get that money back on that. So we're not going to get rid of all 55% of it. But if you can just eliminate a bunch of that kind of stuff that gets down, that is just noise at the end of the day or people unwilling to accept a policy or whatever, and you can get down to, we just want to get you to where you're going. And we want you to fly on us. And if today doesn't work anymore, you let us know. You get your points. Try it again tomorrow. Try it again another time. So uh, San Francisco, man, it, it's going to – I'm constantly looking, and so maybe I hear these things because I'm looking to hear these things. But we're in San Francisco. I'm standing behind Justin, which is our awesome – which I hope he's listening right now. He's on LinkedIn. He's awesome. He's our gate agent out there. But I'm listening to Justin talk to a guest, and the guest comes up smiling, and I'm like, this is awesome. This guest knows Justin. This is great. And the guest says, I made it today. And I'm like, there's a story. And Justin's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Did it turn out okay? That's all I heard Justin say. Big smile on the face. The guy goes back there. I chose not to ask Justin about it because I didn't want to know if he broke policy or anything like that. Justin didn't. He's good. But I went and looked up that guest reservation. And I went and looked. And that guest missed their flight the day before. Now, with a change in cancel policy and with Justin encouraging, saying, hurry, cancel that flight. You, you're not going to get through San Francisco TSA. It's a disaster right now. But cancel it and then use your points to book. And, and I don't know how many people buy their tickets a long time in advance versus travel and buy your tickets immediately on that one. But I was just like, oh, no. So he missed his flight, but we got him his points back. So that's awesome. Did was was it punitive because the fare had gone up so much for this guy and it's a guy traveling with his son and and i went and looked and the difference of fare because we try to keep the fares low and this is not the same every time but i'm like all those points that he took he went and purchased and it was only 23 more dollars for a mistake that he owned that he completely owned i didn't get to the airport in time i didn't do it and so if we can even take the worst experience of i missed a flight and is the airline just going to completely dismiss me? But no, we had an agent that knew the policy of cancel quick to to save your points, and then the guest rebooking there. And it for it to be, you know, it's a twenty three dollars of tuition for this guy to set a better alarm or whatever the deal was on that one, which which I don't think is overly punitive. But you could see just by the whole interaction, the reason it caught me off guard was this guy is smiling, and there is some story back here to where he could be really really upset. But he wasn't. He was grateful to Justin, and he was grateful to Breeze, and there was nothing. I, we, we stay and help turn the plane and pick up garbage at the end of the uh, flight. And he came off, and he was just a smiling getting off the plane and, and doing it. And so it's, it's stuff like that to where if we put things in place that empower the guest, it's why we choose to call our, our awesome team the guest empowerment team instead of customer service or customer support in there is that we're putting these things that empower the guest in place. Hopefully a lot of the, it's not us fighting against them, it's a well-understood policy or well-understood guideline in place that the guest learns to navigate around. And it's like, for that, that gentleman, I think he's like, hey, if I'm ever running late again, I'm not even going to stress. Just click this, I'll book the flight the next day, or I'll travel the next day, or whatever. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, I like putting the onus on the people, right? Like, oftentimes it's their fault. There's a... A million stories, I'm sure, but there's the Seinfeld episode where George Costanza is trying to get a bereavement rate at a funeral that wasn't his grandma, and he, yeah. he ended up with a Polaroid or something. Polaroid next to the casket. That's a classic, <laughs> classic episode. Did not work. Um, but uh, I'm sure you guys have just catalogs full of these stories, right? And it's not fun for either side, but you just, to your point, take out 
as much of that friction as possible, and you're you're sitting a lot prettier. Um, also, the I'm always impressed when companies can operate. Um, the margins are low, as everyone knows, but your prices are way affordable, right? Like, and I don't work for Breeze. I'm just looking at their website. They were very cheap. They reminded me of a long time ago um, when I was in college, and I was always looking for the cheapest flight. Again, some CFO or some VP of accounting has to make sure this all pencils out. Um, are there any that don't pencil out that are like loss leaders? We'll, we'll get that in the future. Or like how yeah. committed are you guys to everything penciling out? Yeah, I don't know if you know this, and I'm going to try not to chuckle because I don't mean this mean, but you've mentioned Tulsa several times. Sadly, Tulsa did not, not work out. At the After Thanksgiving, Tulsa actually goes a, away for us. Uh, and it's one of those where, again, the math was we think that there's this much in this market, but we've got to stimulate this much and and sadly we just didn't quite we didn't quite stimulate it that now in you know our our motto is seriously nice we try to we try to live that and kindness is one of our values but going into the communities it it is a it is a partnership for for a small airline like us and it's just like chamber of commerce you know local uh cvb you you guys got to you got to help us stimulate in here because uh, we're, we're, we think we're 25% of the way there and we got to work for the other 75% of it. And so, yeah, some of them don't work out. I, uh, our VP of airport affairs, Eric Fletcher, I was just on a call with him yesterday and he ran the stats. There was another airline that started about at the exact same time as us. And there's a lot going on. There's a consolidation going on out there in the market. And we started looking at these stats and he said, breeze has for the most part, um, and compared to the new airline and other airlines that are similar to us, we we have been the most successful at stimulating additional flights into places. I'll use Provo as a perfect example. In our first year of operation there, we are up 477% in seats that are that are flown out of there because Provo, you guys have come. Thank you. You know, th this is a community that's come and, and, and it's done great. So kudos to all of you and your neighbors on that one. Uh, so, but, but we are the, we are the best at continuing growth on that one. And we are the lowest at canceling routes that didn't work, that just, just didn't work anymore. Now, some of them are intentionally seasonal, you know, a lot of, not, not a lot of cold weather to cold weather in the winter cities that are flying that some of those are seasonal, but, but from that measure, when it doesn't work, we try to be honest and upfront with the community, give the community an opportunity, and then put more of our marketing dollars towards it. But un yeah. unfortunately, we've had about we've had four cities of the of the almost fifty we've opened, four of them that didn't work out. Yeah, well, that's not to say it might not work out in the future. In there, the future. yep. Yeah, um, let's get the microphone ready and uh, everyone get your courage up for some questions from the audience. Um, we all can see that. The headlines uh, of aviation, um, you know, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, KSL, whatever it is. And recently it's been, uh, there's a better way to board, allegedly, um, that saves two minutes. And then the, the one I read was the Wall Street Journal. They do a nice job of breaking it down, what those yeah. two minutes mean, right? And this is stuff only you and your team could know, right? But it is an accordion effect, and it gets vicious at the end when it snaps, oh gosh, right? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I assume... You guys have to be on top of all of that, but like a big snowstorm, there was one that got its own name yep. like 10 years ago, and it was not fun for anyone, but it was really not fun for the airlines, right? Oh, yeah. How far do you guys kind of forecast these situations, and what is your like quick reaction force when they happen? Yeah, so our I, I got to give a shout out to our, our VP of our uh, operations center. Uh, his name's Travis Yost. He's, he's awesome, but every morning at 8 a.m., we're looking at the weather forecast for the next week. And with Thanksgiving coming up, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, an airline, it, it feels like an airline makes about 10% of its entire year in that one day. And so we are forecasting like crazy. We're getting crews into place. And it's, and it's a tough time because people want to be with their families, right? But we're getting extra crews in uh, what's called airport reserves and doing all of this kind of stuff where checking in with the maintenance team, hey, the aircraft are all in shape, right? They're going to be good. Um, I, I oversee the, the contact center, but also the airport operations. It's everybody's doing their equipment checks on, on this. And, 
everybody's taking their vitamins. They're not going to call in sick this week. And, and, and it is going out a long time in advance. So we're looking around the corner at least 14 days, and we have somebody from uh, formerly from the FAA and the what's air traffic control type mentality and, and helping us forecast those things out because we, we have got to stay ahead of it. You know, a, a random Tuesday in September is a whole lot different than the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And a, a random Tuesday in September, people tend to have a, a flexible travel experience. Zero people have a flexible travel experience when it comes to that day. We have got, we've got to nail it on that day. And, and I feel bad. The airlines last year, the documentation is, is out there plentiful. Uh, and the he- Senate hearings <laughs> are out there plentiful. But systems need to be up and running and all of that kind of stuff. And I feel really, really bad for those airlines because it is a low-margin industry. I, I so wish one of you Silicon geniuses, Silicon Slopes geniuses, would, would figure out how to, for a very cheap airline, to replace all of its antiquated systems. And I say antiquated. They do their job, but they are just built by a company that they're, – they're built – and uh, an industry that doesn't make a big margin on that doesn't replace systems um, with, without profits to do that. But, but anyway, those things, we, airlines, we've got to be on our game. And we know it. We accept it. We don't whine about it. But we've got to be on our game to do that from systems to people to, to processes all in place to, to be ready for it. Oh, for sure. I think it's a miracle every time one of those lands and takes off and uh, people get on and off. Let alone thousands of times a day. Um, all right, let's open it up for questions from the audience. Raise the hands, and uh, Mike will be brought to you. There will be no punitive questions, I've been told. So I see all these ideas and schematics for changing how seats are supposed to be arranged on flights in the future so that airlines can cram more people onto the flights. And it just, it just feels like year after year it gets worse in terms of flight experience. What is Breeze going to try to do, like to keep the flights cheap, but not have to cram a thousand people onto a flight? It's a, it's a great. My favorite or least favorite is the one that's like a bunk bed type thing, where it's like you put your legs underneath the person in front of you, and you're like seriously inches away from the back of their seat, and they're kind of elevated above you. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't necessarily want to fly that way, and I can only imagine the person near the window trying to get out <laughs> to go to the restroom. Um, so a, a couple of things that we're what we're trying to do is uh, I mentioned we had seriously nice we we like to think of our aircraft divided into three sections nice nicer and nicest on that one we we are one of the very few in our in our uh, classification as as airlines are classified that offers uh, an upfront we call it ascent we don't call it first class because. We don't want Garrett here to think caviar's coming with that. It's a it's a more comfortable seat by for those people that are willing to pay a little bit more and want that extra legroom. And then in our nicest section, which we think is a very comparable price to what people who feel crammed have been saying, well, for this price, I'm not crammed in there. And then we are going to try to always have either leading or near leading in the economy section. That is, pitch Pitch is the mat measure of the uh, distance on that one, to try to have that space in there so it, isn't, it, so it doesn't feel super, super crammed in there. But we, we recognize that families that are looking for a very low price find those crammed-in seats very valuable for them because if there, was more, if there were less seats on a plane, the airlines would charge more for those seats, and hence that family would maybe be priced out and then they're back to the car driving from Pittsburgh to, to Norfolk on that one. So um, one, of, one of the main measures that I love to do is we, we use NPS to score ours. And we, we ask down to see com- questions about seat comfort and all of that stuff. And taking those things to measure to make sure we haven't gone too far to take it away. But to find and making sure that the price points aren't overly differentiated in between those. So it is a really a value proposition to somebody versus a, a quality of life or a I'm forced I'm forced to have that seat. You made me have a really uncomfortable seat versus that seat. I understand I could have had a slightly more comfortable seat if I paid more, but this one is is satisfactory to me. 
don't know how well I answered the question if I did a good enough job. Sounded good to me. A lot of science and uh, factoring in personalities there. Okay, if you had final say in boarding, how would you board and why? If I had final say in boarding, how would I board and why? It, I, I get to be a little bit bipolar on this one, but if I had just efficiency final boarding, I would do back to front, out to in. And so there would be an algorithm that, like, the first ten people on are the last five rows, and they had the window seat, right? And then the second ten people, group of ten, would be the aisle seats. Sorry, we're, we have two different kinds of aircraft. It's two-by-two two configuration and a two-by-three configuration. So um, we, we don't have a three-by-three three configuration. So that's, that's the way I would do it, just purely off of efficiency and, and getting out there. But I hate that as the father of five children because I know that I'm separating for efficiency's sake. I'm actually becoming more inefficient because if I'm sitting all together as a family, why would I just separate the family to do that? And so you'd have to take a human algorithm, a humanized algorithm to, to put it into there. Um, I, I personally like the way, the way we currently do our boarding uh, at Breeze in the fact that people who are willing to pay for an experience of getting on to have the overhead bin space or people who paid for uh, seats and extra legroom or want more time get to get on there. And then individuals who are in the last groups that may still need to pay for their carry-on bag or, or something come to where we have a little more time to, to deal with them. It, it, it works out okay. What United, it's funny reading that article from United, and, and kudos to them, it feels like this things in the airline industry cycle a lot of times because I remember at JetBlue doing a study and we hired somebody to do this thing that automated it and gave a, a half a second to each person sitting in their seat or something to do this whole thing out, and it didn't, it didn't improve our boarding times. But the two minutes that they're trying to save, the two minutes on that very first flight of the day, if you're delayed by two minutes, that's, that's proven to be up to an hour by the end of the day because of just what it puts out. I'll, I'll give you the quick example. I don't know, Garrett. I told you, you got, just cut the mic off Rock if, out. if I need to on this one. But those two minutes, especially at airports that we fly, small little airports, and airports are called slot controlled in certain places where you have a specific time you need to land or you lose your gate and you go to the back of the line and wait for it. Well, two minutes leaving Provo, doesn't feel like that big a deal. Thanks for waiting for that guest. But if by the time we hit some winds and going into Santa Ana, and then we land at John Wayne, and we're now 20 minutes late into John Wayne, we've just missed our gate, and we've missed our fueling spot. So now we're at the back of the line on gates, and we're at the back of the line on fueling. And now, leaving Santa Ana, we're, uh, we're, we're now 45 minutes late. Then we hit winds going the other way when we get into Orlando. And then all of a sudden coming back, that crew times out, and they're in Santa Ana, and they're not legal to fly up to Provo to come back. And so that two minutes that United is massive of their operation, I know exactly what they're trying to save with that two minutes. They're looking for two minutes anywhere to not have crews timing out, to not miss fueling spots and gate spots and, and all of these things. And they're a much bigger airline than us, not as maybe not as agile in some of that stuff. So I know what they're trying to do. And if they solve it, great. They solve it for everybody, and we, we all just follow them. Yeah. That was a great answer because, like, again, uh, it's nice week or kindness week. Uh, look how many variables there are with just that one example, but you times that by hundreds or thousands, and uh, you get a lot of grumpy faces. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. We've got time for one, maybe two more right over here. Miss 24-hour laundry. There you go. It's good. It's good. Um, so I'm I'm really interested in your business model in terms of growth. So right now you're low price, very nice. But what about um, you know as you get bigger and scale and maybe hit more or airports? Like, do you think that your identity will change? Will your prices change? What does that look like going forward? Yeah. So. Uh, I love your question on that one, and it's a, and it's a great question. Uh, what, what we would like to see in order to keep the fares down is that where we are having success, instead of controlling the, the 
supply, if you will, by as demand's gone up, just taking all of it out of the economic value of, well, demand's gone up, we can raise the prices on this one. We actually, that's where we want to start then looking to adding another frequency. And so if we're satisfied and we've run efficiently enough that we've made a satisfactory margin on one flight a day into San Francisco, and all of a sudden the demand is there, instead of that demand going up and our, we raise our prices drastically. Now, we, we will raise our need to raise our prices occasionally on that one. But adding an extra frequency in there, because now all of a sudden, not in a monopolistic type way, but now we have scale and we have a better guest experience because for that gentleman who missed his flight, now he has a second flight that day as an option where early on we didn't have that. And so we like to take the benefit in adding frequency in those places, not necessarily in the economic improvements coming from only raising prices, but the economic improvements coming from added frequency. Now we get a better rate with our ground handler. Now we have a dedicated gate in those locations instead of depending upon a gate, and that has some, uh, some efficiencies and economies of scale and, and taking the economic benefit out of that. Awesome. Um, can I ask one more really quick question? So um, I, I'm on planes several times a week, and I live here in this area, so I fly in and out of Salt Lake usually and Delta, and I have their you know mileage card and all that. Kind of, just joking. Just all joking. that all that kind of stuff. So that what I'm saying is there's a there's like an adherence, right? A stickiness to keeping me there. Stickiness. So, stickiness. I'm glad you use the word stickiness. We talk about that all the time because you're you're right. You're 100 right. Yeah. So what what would you do for someone like me to have me fly out of Provo? I go to California a lot, you know, and kind of come over to your airline. Other than just be the great Breeze Airways that you guys are. Yeah, so, so a couple of things that where we hopefully become attractive to you. So we're primarily leisure airline, and so we're flying to places where people want to get to a beach or, or they want to do it. Not all, not sometimes not that attractive to the business traveler. I assume you're traveling for business. Yeah, but certainly for pleasure as well, right? Which, when you're which is exactly there. And so you use your points to, to go for pleasure. So we, we hope to attract you in, with a great, great fare. Uh, for the next time you have a leisure experience. And then when you get there, we want you immediately in our loyalty program, and, uh, which is very infant uh, in, its, in, it, in its experience there. And we just want you to have a really, really good experience, That knowing that we are there for your primary leisure opportunities. We are never going to probably, I shouldn't say never, have the frequency at which when your business travel you need to have three or four flights a day because meetings cancel or meetings go late and, and doing that type of thing. So we're not trying to overly attract you from the business experience. But if we're top of mind for your leisure experience so that when it's your, your opportunity to come in there, we, we want you to try us. And then we want you to have a great experience, and then you try us next year instead of trying us that one time. You now We stimulated one extra trip out of you because it was such a great experience. And now all of a sudden we're your primary thought when it comes to leisure traveling and all of a sudden you've accumulated enough points you've taken it there that occasionally it does work for your the business experience to to go i again it's all to us i shouldn't say all about but primarily about that stimulation if we've made this seamless enough experience and there's a quality of life that comes with a stimulated trip out of this that's how we attract you versus a cut and you're no longer diamond medallion, we're going to take you over, and now you're here, you're going to fly all that kind of stuff. We, we know that's probably not the very best thing for you because we're not going. I, Delta, the uh, sorry, my, my sister-in-law just took a new job in Denver. She's like, when is Breeze going to fly from Provo to Denver? And I'm like, can I show you the 47 flights a day that go from the Salt Lake area to Denver? We're probably not because there's 47 flights a day, and, it, and it's really hard for us to stimulate any more out of that type of yeah. thing. But if we, can, if we can become top of mind for leisure on that experience, then eventually maybe it comes. Awesome. Thank you. We've got time for one more. And correct me if I'm wrong, but everyone that asked a question gets a billion breeze points, Billion, right? billion on that one. I think that was courageous, and I will, I will back that up. Not a billion, <laughs> but I will back up. If we can get folks' names, we'll do breeze points. Oh, well, that was a joke, but thank you. No, we'll, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. Time for one more now. Dave Wilcox. He doesn't get it. Over there. She held the door for me on the way, and she is kind. There you go. Kindness week. Kindness week. She was nice. Thank you.
Okay. So what are the plans for international expansion? Are you approved for flying so international that, I'm glad routes? you said are you approved for. We are currently not approved for it. Our aircraft and and so that plane, the plane that we fly is awesome and it it could let let me break it down to where cool places we want to go from Provo if we can just do that. Anybody would love to go from Provo to Hawaii direct? That would be kind of cool, right? That would be awesome. So our plane can absolutely get that far, but because we're a brand new airline, we had to first get certified as an airline domestically. And then we had to get certified to even fly over water. No lie, I think, I think this is no lie. The ops people will tell me if it is. Not. We had to get certified to be able to fly over from Florida over the Gulf to connect in there. It's all, it's all American airspace, but we had to be certified to fly over water to just do that. And so we had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just to certify to do that. So we, we first have to get each one of these certifications uh, with the FAA to, to be certified to, to fly international. It's absolutely on our roadmap. We want to do it. We're just taking it in priority order. And it's pretty high. It's not the highest, but it's pretty high. Cool. Um, last question for me. It's on your website. So for the the rich folks like Bill Gates and those folks, they can fly wherever they want, whenever they want, however they want. Uh, but there's charter and, like, group rates. Correct. At what point does the math pencil out? Like, if there's a family of 40, a family of 400, where does that sweet spot lie? Yeah, so, so right now if you're a group of nine or less, go on the website, book, it's awesome. If you're a group of... Uh, 10 to I would probably go with about a hundred the the we have a group sales uh, section that they can go and they can help you out with that one after you get over a hundred charter might be an option option for the for the group so uh, I don't know if BY is going to be a bowl eligible Taylor they're going to make get bowl eligible there but start to get your group of a hundred people together and hurry and ask uh, Breeze if they'll take you to the Fiesta Bowl or the nah probably not that probably, probably not, not that, that one, one. <laughs> but 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 maybe one of them Potato Bowl or yeah. very cool thank you so much Danny um, I appreciate your time uh, I think you're willing to stick around for a second for, absolutely for those so plus I've got four people I got to get names of. that's very nice of you thank you Danny appreciate it okay thank you.